Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Culture is the culture. It's four to six A to B, competitive excellence, and the brotherhood. The plan to win uh, has never changed. So the culture here and the plan to win is always going to be here at Ohio State. Welcome back to four to six of A and B, the Ohio State podcast on the Athletic Bill Landis. Joined as always by Ari Wasserman. Ari, there's a bunch of stuff happening. First and foremost, Ohio State's got a huge game on Saturday at Penn State, Saturday night, Beaver Stadium. Should be a whiteout, but it won't be. But I still think it's a big game. There's a bunch of weird stuff happening with Ohio State recruiting right now. I, I don't really know <laughs> like how to wrap my head around this, but we're going to try to do it on, on this episode of 4-6 of to six with AMB. And then, of course, since it is our second show of the week, we'll have some subscriber questions to get into as well. But, Ari, right, let's start with this recruiting stuff. Quinn Ewers, the, the number one player in the class of 2022, depending on where you look, certainly the number one quarterback in the class of 2022, decommits from Texas on Wednesday night, and then immediately everyone's like, he's going to Ohio State. And we know that he's a kid that Ohio State recruited and certainly was in good standing in his recruitment before he committed to Texas, I guess it was two months ago. Um this is a little wild to me that Ryan Day is gonna pull this off and steal this kid from Tom Herman. There, like, there's so many different storylines that go off of on this. So, I guess I'll just ask you, like, kind of broadly, you see Quinn Ewers decommit, and then automatically everyone says he's going to Ohio State. You think what? Holy crap! I got to get out of bed and write this. <laughs> <laughs> I was ready to go to sleep last night, and this is when it happened. Uh, on uh, Mon- on Wednesday evening is when it happened, and. You know, I know that Ohio State had been recruiting him. Uh, I didn't know that they were at the point when he committed to Texas that they were like the, the school that missed out on him. Um, it was my understanding, and, and now being in the Dallas area, have been trying to get out to do a story on him. And the story angle that I wanted to write two months ago was, this is the most important recruit of the Tom Herman era because if he didn't end up at Texas, then you're talking about a Dallas kid who might end up at Oklahoma. And it's kind of a geography geography thing, and it was like an Oklahoma-Texas battle, at least in the recruiting profile from what I was reading about him. So the fact that he decommitted last night, I think it's an interesting discussion point because, A, Texas is kind of a dumpster fire right now, and people are freaking out about him. But is this? it didn't seem like this was a reaction to Texas losing. It seemed like this was a reaction based on the way that he wrote his message on Twitter that he's going to flip to Ohio State soon. And he didn't mention Ohio State by name on Twitter, but the fact that this is also happening in conjunction with three other top 10 kids in the class of 2022, and it's just like, what the hell is going on there? I haven't seen anything like this before in my entire career. 
Uh, you keep smirking, and I don't know. It's freaking me out, man. What's so funny over there? Well, no, I just I, I was just going to say that uh, I think your your point about Quinn Ewers being the most important recruit in the Tom Herman era at Texas is still going to end up being true, but for very different reasons. Um, this is weird. There's like they had last last week. The class of 2021 is in Columbus. And we had Jack Sawyer on the, to talk about that the meetup that they had and. All the reports are that that went well, and it sounds like maybe they're going to get Derek Davis, the safety from Pennsylvania, out of God, that. Penn State. Trista didn't come. But we got to talk about that too. I mean, I mean that is yeah. not to interrupt you, but come on, man, let let them yeah, have that's one. Another, that's another. That's another. bad look for for James Franklin uh, and, and Penn State. But that like they're coming off of that. There's some good vibes to the 21 class, and then this week, which is supposed to be a major game week. The Quinn Ewer stuff happens, and you alluded to this. Uh, Damani Jackson, a five-star corner from modern day in California, starts getting Ohio State crystal balls. Kayla Burton, a five-star receiver from Texas, gets, starts getting crystal balls. These are top ten players in the class of 2022. And then on top of that, like Will Johnson, who's a five-star corner from Michigan, puts OSU football in his Instagram bio. Uh, Zach Ross, a five-star offensive tackle, I believe, from, from Tennessee, does the same. And like I don't know how much of this is – Legitimate Ohio State's about to land four or five top 15-ish prospects in the class of 2022. And how much of this is just kids having fun and, like, you know, they're bragging about breaking the internet. Like, and you can do that in this recruiting age. But is that real? Is Ohio State going to do that in the next month and add seven five-star prospects to its recruiting class? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Seven top 15 players. If that happens. I'm going to go on the record right now and just say in my uh, – prediction that they won't because that's yeah, insane too. i mean that it, i don't i don't know ohio state's what got four in 2021 um yes, and i think so they might end up with six and alabama has five right now and they might end up with six so getting seven and you know there's about 30 or 35 five-star prospects so getting seven in the top 15 would be unheard of i mean i i can't imagine i don't like really know what's going on um, you know, I'm not going to doubt the fact that Ryan Day is a great. They already have one. They too. do. Yeah, like Gabe Powers is committed. He's, and he's yeah, and he's the right. What is he? 33rd overall. So um, yeah. you know, they're in a pretty good position. I think that the the Ewers thing makes sense. Um, I also think that um, you know, Ohio State being the place for quarterbacks to go, given what we're seeing in terms of the transformation of Justin Fields and Dwayne Haskins, makes a lot of sense. We've written a lot about. Um, in general, how Ohio State has shifted into a destination for quarterbacks, and that necessarily wasn't the that wasn't necessarily the case under Urban Meyer, and also uh, Caleb Burton is also from Texas and is a five star receiver who probably has a nice relationship with Ewers. Those two make sense the same way that maybe the Washington kids in the twenty twenty one class could make sense. But why these prospects from all over the country are all doing this at once, I don't know. Um, I do think that there is a a thing that people like to say is like being in the cool kids club a little bit. And when you have the opening and these big-time camps, these five-star prospects are in group chats together talking about the same group of schools. And I think it is kind of hard for these schools that aren't in that club to, to penetrate it. So these kids end up knowing each other for years before they get to this point in their recruitments. And even though they're juniors right now, they all knew that they were going to be highly recruited players because players that good usually are you know, getting offers when they're freshmen and, and moving forward, you know, more acclimated to the process than most juniors are at that time. So the fact that Ohio State is in the middle of this isn't surprising to me because Ohio State is always in the middle of this kind of thing. The thing that's surprising to me is that, A, they're they're in the conversation um, with all these kids at once, and, and two, how kind of funny it is that they're putting Ohio State football in the profiles and stuff. But the ones that I really give credence to, Bill – um, are the ones that uh, 24-7 sports experts like Steve Wiltfong, who's done a tremendous job there, is putting crystal balls into because he wouldn't just post it based on some some profile change. It's based on reporting and information that he continually has. And, you know, he's really good at his job, and I trust his, his viewpoints on those things. So, you know, I don't know what this means for Texas. I think we're going to get down the line and we have a question about this. But, you know, the fact that Tom Herman – I also think it's interesting, too, how – much Ohio State fans tend to not like him after he was like the reason they won a national championship or one of the main reasons they won a national championship. And I also think it's kind of interesting watching them celebrate his failure. Um, and that's kind of what's happening right now. So I don't know if we want to go too deep into that conversation point. Uh, but 
it is definitely a double whammy for Herman and all the Garrett Wilson rumors that started last year. Uh, you know, it just oh, does it have to be if if he's in his office in Austin right now, he's probably thinking, did it have to be Ohio State? Because it always seems to come back to that. And like now, the rumors are that Urban is going to replace him. And you know, rumors are rumors. I'm not trying to give any credit to it. You know, everybody Urban was going to coach USC last year, and Urban's an astronaut. You know, I, I don't know whatever you want to say about him, but everything always links back to Texas and Ohio State and Ohio State fans. Based on just my Twitter mentions in general, when I wrote the story uh, on Wednesday night, was that Ohio State fans were very eager to consume this this story topic. We do have a question about Urban and Texas, but before we get to that, I think one more point on Quinn Ewers, and I'm interested in your perspective on it. Ryan Day will have, this is what we're assuming, C.J. Stroud and Jack Miller in 2020, Kyle McCord in 2021, and Quinn Ewers in 2022. Is that a sustainable way to build your quarterback room? Maybe that's a dumb question because we're talking about some of the most talented quarterbacks in the country, but you know you got to be able to retain guys too. You have to have more than one quarterback on your roster. Is there any concern about building your quarterback room this way, or you just go get the best guy and if the rest of it figures itself out? And this has been a long-term discussion, you know, even dating back to our Cleveland.com days, and, and we've talked about this with you know Doug when we were working with him and stuff because. There was a point in time where Ohio State had Cardale Jones, Braxton Miller, J.T. Barrett, and Joe Burrow in their quarterback room, and that was a discussion point then. It's like, do you need a Stephen Collier-type player in that room to kind of hold it all together and be a, a constant? And I think I've disagreed with this since the beginning. I, I don't necessarily know that you should intentionally recruit a player who can't play so that you have a glue guy in your quarterback room. And I think now, especially in 2020, even more so than it was in 2016 or 15 or whatever year it was when Cardale and Burrow and all those guys were in the same room, these quarterbacks are leaving more regularly anyway. So to me, I think you always, always, always address the need that you have on your roster by filling it in with the best player you could possibly get. And people are going to leave, people are going to transfer, and guess what? People are going to transfer in too. And that might not that might mean that in the modern-day world of college football, you just don't have four quarterbacks in the same room for four years straight it might be a completely different room every year but I think that's just the reality of the situation so I know there's some concern that Kyle McCord might not like this or that there's too many good quarterbacks coming in at one time or that if Ewers commits next month that McCord might not sign and all the things that Ohio State fans love to panic about but what do you think the sales pitch was to McCord come on in we're not going to get anybody else Right. They just signed two in the class before him. And, you know, presumably speaking, he's going to be the same year when they get onto campus. So he's already going to be inundated with a bunch of competition. And if Stroud or Miller, like the plan is, wins that job, it's not like that kid's going to be seeing the field in the next two or three years anyway. So, you know, I don't know that it's much of a shock that Ohio State would want to get a top five player or the number one player in the country to come in after him. And I and I think that really the only time that that could really be a concern is if you're getting two in the same class because that's just so hard to do. It doesn't mean it's not the best way to do it. I mean, do you think they should be getting – I mean, you can get as many Gunner Hokes, and, and that's no you know, insult to him. That's just his role on this team. You can always find somebody who wants to come in and be a glue guy. I think that's an easy thing to find, finding the real talent, the Division One first-round NFL draft pick talent potentially to come into that room is the hard part. So I think you should always concern yourself with getting the best players that you possibly can. I, I mean, backup quarterback's important, um, but I tend to agree with you, at least on this position. I, I feel – I don't think it's it's a blanket thing you apply to every position, but I think you do apply it to court. Like, you don't you don't not take Quinn yours because it might make Kyle McCord upset, and you, do, you don't not take whoever the next guy in 2023 is because it might make Quinn yours upset. Um, I think you take the best guys, you bring them in, you sell them on the fact that, that you develop players even when they're not playing. And I think there's some proof of concept of that at Ohio State. It's a hard sell because guys want to play immediately. And, and this transfer rules come in where guys are going to be able to leave and, and play immediately without having to sit out. So so the management of that room becomes infinitely more difficult. But even with all that, you don't, you don't pass up on the chance to bring in. Like Quinn Ewers is, I, th- I think – the highest rated quarterback prospect since like Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. I, I might be wrong on that, but it's a similar kind of, of prospect we're talking about here. And of course you take him 10 times out of 10 and massage it the best way you can. I don't have any reason to believe there's like ill will 
from anybody about this. I, I do believe that, I mean, Kyle McCord knew when he committed he was going to have to come in and compete with the guys in front of him, like you said. I don't know why he'd be upset about having to compete with the guy that comes in behind him. You just compete, and, and if you don't win, you don't win. But I think you believe in yourself first and foremost and try to try to get that job. So uh, I don't have an issue with this at, at all. Um, I get, also, I think it's important, Bill, to remind people that McCord is the 23rd-ranked player in the 2021 class yeah. and is a bona fide high-end five-star prospect. So yeah, he's really good. it's not like – He's a high-end four that's going to get replaced by somebody who's a generational talent that he's not. I think that they view McCord the same way that they view Ewers, and I don't know that that's going to be an impact. And if you feel like you're going to be in a program for an entire year longer than somebody, then you have to trust. I understand being scared about people who are ahead of you or in the same class. I don't don't think what comes in behind you is as much of a concern as what goes in before you. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I agree with Did that. that. Sound weird? <laughs> <laughs> a little bit, but but I think it's it's uh, it's sound logic, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I it's it's crazy to like we always talked about stacking quarterbacks. We've had this conversation a lot, like you've said, but this is a different version of that. I'm fascinated to see it play out. Um, I I do think there's a scenario where Ryan Day manages to at the very least get all these guys on campus at the same time and, and lets the competition play out whether or not he can keep it intact so that they all eventually start at Ohio State's a different conversation but I don't think you worry about that now you just worry about st- stocking your quarterback room with the best players you possibly can you know what this reminds me out. of this reminds me of and I like to rant to you about the NFL because mm-hmm. like what's your favorite topic in the world to talk about cheesesteaks college football and roster management in the NFL are those the three basically yeah but I always used to say, um, as somebody who's casually followed the Browns the last 10 years, having lived in Ohio, that the Browns should draft a quarterback with every single pick that they have, especially in the first round, until they find one. And then once they find one that they know is the guy, then address all the other needs because you can't win without a quarterback. And I just like, obviously it's not the same thing because you have to – you know, build through the draft and whatever. NFL is a different game. But the, the point I'm trying to make is what's the hardest part? Is the hard part filling the room and having a functional depth-filled room? Or is the hard part getting enough talent into the doors of your building in order to identify the one quarterback that you can have for two or three years that will play the way Justin Fields plays or to play the way that Haskins plays? You need to find one. And if it means having one spring and one fall camp to find one by having four top 50 players on your roster, then whoever wins that battle is damn good. And whoever leaves wasn't as good, and you found your answer at quarterback. And obviously, depth is a major concern here. You know, as we found out last year with Justin Fields, one bump injury could really change things. I'm not saying that you don't need depth, but I think it is so much easier to build depth around the guy than it is to find the guy. And I don't necessarily know that C.J. Stroud or Jack Miller could be named the guy right now. I don't know if McCord is the guy. I don't know if Ewers is the guy. But if all four of them are on campus at the same time at any given point, you're damn sure that one of them is. That's the hardest part. Yep, I agree. I agree. It's wild that it's playing out this way. Like I, I thought, and maybe I'm naive for thinking, like I thought the door was shut on Quinn Ewers when he committed to Texas. And I don't know how much of this is Texas unrest or, or Ryan Day doing a really good recruiting job. And getting this kid to change his mind, but but either way, it's a little unexpected for me. <clears throat> but you know, Ryan Day's uh, he's turning into the uh, I don't know if he's the quarterback whisperer yet. I think he needs more more um, data to to get that title. But he's uh, certainly attracting quarterbacks in a way that suggests people view him that way. So we'll see how it plays out. Let's do some questions before we get to our Penn State game picks and a little bit of a game breakdown. I will say. Uh, we're going to break down the game, Ari and I, uh, this Saturday night. Uh, I also broke down the game a little bit earlier this week with Audrey Snyder on the Big Football Show. Um, you can find that. Search Big Football Show wherever you find podcasts. Uh, that's the Athletics Daily Big Ten Show. And Audrey and I had a conversation. She's our Penn State beat writer. There's been some other talk about the game, too. So there's no shortage of Ohio State, Penn State talk. And we'll have some more on the game later in this episode. Subscribe so to The com slash 4-6. Listening to me and Audrey? Yeah, I felt I get jealous. I don't get jealous. You're on Andy Staples podcast tweeting about mayonnaise every week. I'm like, well, I don't get jealous about that. It's okay. I'll have to spread our wings. Well, you're more you're more secure than I am. <laughs> Maybe. That might be true. 
<laughs> that's probably that's probably very true actually uh all right let's do subscriber questions theathletic.com slash four dash six still get you one dollar per month and get you through the door to submit questions for this here podcast first question is from cole f tying in with the quinn ewer stuff do you think urban meyer would seriously consider the texas job if they fire tom herman and how many of osu staff would leave to join him in austin i would mark pantoni loves country music I'd be on my way down there tomorrow. How entertaining would that be to write about? I would I would love to. It'd be really entertaining to write about, but I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's just the obvious connection to make. Whenever you're looking for a person to save a dumpster fire, you look for a person that is famous and has won a championship before, and it's just the fun. Then somebody tweeted us that I know somebody in the trustee's office. This is a done deal, and it's like, all right, dude, like, are we doing this right now? And Maybe um, it is maybe it is i don't know i don't know how urban meyer is feeling but from the looks of it it looks like he is recharged and he's enjoying life and seems to be in a place where he's managing his head in a good spot but that doesn't give us any insight whatsoever in terms of what he desires to do or how he wants to change his life. I think Urban Meyer is the top candidate. You and I have texted about this, and I think we've kind of disagreed at times. Um, but I think if I were USC, I would back up the Brinks truck. If I were Texas, I would back up the Brinks truck. If I were Florida, again, I would. If Dan Mullen moves on, or you know, I, I don't know what school wouldn't want him in this position. And I think if Urban Meyer were to go to Texas, they would be in the college football playoff by year three at the latest, and probably year two. I think he would close the state. I think the best players in the in the state of Texas would return to Texas, even though they're already kind of doing that. Because, listen, Tom Herman's done a pretty good job recruiting. It hasn't been a dumpster fire. He's made some uh, moves that don't really make much sense, and he's missed on some guys and decided not to recruit Jackson Smith and the Jigba, and that might be another blunder in three or four years when we see more of what we saw last Saturday. But for the most part, Texas is the top ten most talented team in college football. Um but Urban Meyer knows how to build a program, and he knows how to how to get the right guys in there um, to do it. And you know he has his flaws; we've seen them up and close and personal. But I think it's an absolute no brainer if you're Texas to do it. Would he do it? I don't know. Yeah, I think it's a no brainer to Texas to hire him for Texas to hire him. I just I, I've I've I think made peace with the idea that he's done, and it's not because I have inside information. I don't talk to Urban. It's just my observations of him from super far away. He seems very content with what he's doing. And I also have a hard time wrapping my my mind around the idea that Urban Meyer is going to go down to Texas and start recruiting against Ohio State. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Why? The guy is on TV 50 times a week wearing Ohio State stuff and can not stop talking in glowing terms about this particular program and how much he loves the state of Ohio and how much he loves Ohio State, and now he's going to go down to Texas and say, no, don't go there. I mean, I know it's a completely different scenario, recruiting against Florida, because he's from Ohio, and we know all the great things about Urban and his loyalty to the Ohio State University. But, you know. I think it's very different. I think it's very different. Give me a check. I'll put a polo on for any school, and I'll recruit against anybody. Everyone has their price. I just, I think I, I I think it's very different him recruiting going and recruiting and trying to beat Ohio State at things at this point. Yeah, I mean maybe so. I don't know, and it might be a little bit different too trying to keep Ohio out of Texas. I don't know that he'd be going into Cleveland high schools or Columbus. Maybe he would. I don't know. Um, That'd be funny. Yeah, Texas Urban Meyer leading the Texas Charge into Columbus with running back coach Tony Alford recruiting Cleveland. I don't know. That'd be interesting. Um, but Stan Drayton's there, right? I mean, yeah, they're all the <laughs> Texas is Ohio State, which is probably part of the reason why things are going great there because Tom Herman tried to make it the tried to make himself something he's not and make his program something it's not, which is the fatal flaw of every former Urban Meyer assistant, except for Ryan Day, who just got to step in and drive the car himself. Um, Austin be a really good market, I think, for Urban Meyer's Pine House. I don't know. I, I just I would pay as much money as a. Te- I could see him at USC more than Texas. I think. Um, I don't know if it's like that LeBron factor where it's just like Southern California, uh, beautiful weather. That's the place that everybody wants to live when they've made it. You know, kind of like one last stop at a place that doesn't really have any connection to Ohio State. 
and I think that he would bump heads with Ohio State far less in Southern California than he would in Texas, even though Ohio State does recruit the L.A. area pretty heavily. I, I don't know that it would be the same thing because Texas is far closer and far more important to Ohio State than California. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong about that. You could do the numbers on that. But I, it seems to me that Texas is a more fertile area for Ohio State, even though the Buckeyes have taken some guys out of California. The Pac-12 is such a winnable conference. And, you know, I don't know if you would have the same type of challenges in terms of trying to get defense at the right level in order to compete and win in the Big 12. And I just could see him with his tan and his button-down short sleeve shirts just living the dream out there. Um, and I always like kind of thought that that could be the case last year yeah. when all these rumors were happening. Ah, could you make it happen? Here's the one thing that has always um, stopped me when thinking about Urban Meyer and his next step is this. And granted, I know all the stuff went down before he left with Zach Smith and all the stuff that he had to go through and the entire fan base had to go through as a result of that fiasco. But he built Ohio State for seven years to be what it is today. And I don't know if we're getting to the point now where you're more confident in Ryan Day's ability to recruit than Urban Myers because he's doing things that Urban didn't do. <laughs> but I do think that Ohio State was built. And I don't and I don't understand and I never will understand the idea that he built this place, he loves this place, he still lives in Columbus. And then he's going to go leave and create more stress in his life by building up another place that he doesn't have a personal connection to. He's set financially. Like Unless his favorite thing to do is build programs or to take programs that should be better and make them great again, I don't know why you would put yourself through that when you already did all the hard work to make Ohio State what it is today. Because as much as Ryan Day deserves all the credit in the world for what he's done, I'm blown away by how great things are going for this program. I cannot believe it's as good as it is. Um, and I think it's very much on par with Alabama at this point. We're still waiting on the results on the field, but I, I don't know what else you could do better considering we just opened this podcast talking about four top 15 players in 2022. Um, but all of this was built by one person. And I and I I don't know why he would want to build it again. It's like building your dream house in the place that you want to live on the patch of land that you grew up admiring from afar and, and longing to live on, leaving voluntarily and then going to coach somewhere else makes no sense to me. And I know that health was an, a factor. Maybe he feels better. But it's always been kind of an odd juxtaposition to put yourself in is like why would you do that looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 u.s-based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep you heard that right you can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Yeah, he's only 56, which I think is always something important to keep in mind when having this conversation. Texas, I think, is everything he'd want in a job if he were ever to do it again. Limitless resources, shitload of money, blind backing for the football program. Like, you are you are king there. Um, it's very much like Ohio State. Um, I just think he's done. If he doesn't, if he has the opportunity to take that job and he doesn't take that job, he's definitely done. Um but I think he's. I think maybe he's already come to terms with that. Do you think USC is a worse job than Texas? A worse job? Uh, if you were Urban and you could take one or the other next year, what would you take? The football infrastructure, Texas. The football infrastructure of Texas is way better than USC's. USC is in a very talent-rich area. No doubt about it. Texas is a better job. Like top to bottom, Texas is a better job. Texas might be like the number, it's like a top three job in college football. I was debating about this on other shows that won't be named on here, but Texas was a top five job five, six, seven years ago. I don't know that it is now. I mean, the man makes, I don't think the job makes the man in college football. The man makes the job for the most part. Um, 
But I would, if I had the opportunity to take Texas or USC, I'm taking Texas ten times out of ten. I'm not thinking twice about it. I think he would win faster at USC. Why the Big Twelve also sucks? I know, but it's just hard. It's all the teams in the Big Twelve are more evenly matched than the Pac-12. Yeah, but they won't be when he gets there. I know, but like, how much more talented can you make the roster? It's already a top seven talented team, and they're on, and they're already losing to other. You know, I, and I understand that. Um, you know, Texas's big problem is losing to teams they shouldn't lose to, but it just seems to me that it would be easier. The the gap in talent between USC and Oregon State is much bigger than it is between Texas and Texas Tech. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I just I don't know. I just if think I it would be that. easier to go into the playoff from the Pac-12 than the Big 12, especially because you have another bona fide program in your rival that's already making the playoff regularly. Oklahoma uh, takes a step down the second ever Meyer shows up at Texas. Yeah. Yeah, I, and I agree with you. I'm not saying – I think he'd be great at both places. I think he would go anywhere and be great. I mean, I, yeah. we watched what he built. I'm not I'm, – I'm just saying, like, I think you could make a case for USC. Not to mention that yeah, I was in California, and I just don't ever want to leave that place. I would rather live in Los Angeles than Austin, Texas. But I'd rather coach Texas than coach USC. Yeah, okay. That's a lot of Texas talk. This is an Ohio State podcast. <clears throat> That was a lot uh, which, of Ohio State talk in the realm of Texas, though. We didn't get Cole, too Cole also asked who from the staff would join him in Austin. I actually think not much. I think, like, Marathi and Pantone might stay here. Yeah. The build is I mean, hard. The build is really hard. <laughs> like, do you want to do that again? Yeah, that's what I was saying. I, I don't know. I I don't know. It's also fun. It's competitive. It gets the juices going. I know that. But there's something happening here that I think they might rather be a part of. Um. Okay, let's get to the next question and talk more about the Buckeyes. James M. asked, This offseason we heard a lot of hype from all outlets on what could be a breakout season for Jamison Williams. I don't know what he's talking about. I, I would never rate such a thing. Uh, against Nebraska, we saw very few targets go his way. Much heavier reliance on Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. Was Jamison Williams' lack of use scheme-related, game situation-related, or are we all just off with hyping him up so much? Um, I think game-related, scheme-related. I, I don't think... Maybe we over oversold a little bit just how much of a part of the offense he's going to be, but I still believe everything I wrote about him. And I never wrote the like I never thought he was going to be the number one receiver. I think I said he might have like thirty catches this year, but those thirty catches would be pretty special, and he'd do a lot with them. But obviously, Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson will be the leading receivers. They played more with two tight ends against Nebraska than I thought they would. Um, were you surprised by that? Were you surprised by the lack of juice man against Nebraska? No, what I think that we learned is that. Even though Ohio State has a plethora of options at the receiver position, that they're still going to run with Wilson and Olave the most, mm-hmm. and I think that makes sense. You know, like I think over rotation is a thing, and when they play Penn State, assuming that Olave is going to go, and it sounds like things are trending in that direction, um, why would you put anybody else on the field if those guys are fresh to play, even if the other players are good? Um, I think that if the two of them command 60 to 70% of the targets, that makes the most sense. They're maybe the best duo in college football now that waddles out at Alabama. Um, and I just think that it's possible the rotation is a little bit um, more tight than we thought it would be. And, you know, there's always going to be questions like this. If Juice Man caught eight passes for 55 yards on a touchdown against Nebraska, then people would be like, what the hell is going on with Jackson Smith at Jigba? Like, it, 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 there's just too many people. And I think that it might be a thing where one receiver gets two targets for three three yards and, you know, doesn't do much in one game and then catches a touchdown in the next, and then somebody who was more involved the week before gets – I think it's just going to be random. The one thing that's not random is that the two top guys on this team from a receiving and target standpoint are the two best receivers on the team, and those are Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, And it also doesn't – really shouldn't be that confusing because they're two of the best receivers in college football. So, you know, I, I, I like the way that I, they used those guys. I thought that it was interesting that Fleming came in when Olave went out. Mm-hmm. I think we learned a lot from that specific rotation. Um, but assuming those guys are healthy, those are the guys I'd want on the field the most too. I do think we'll start to see a little more of Jamison. Last year against FAU, they played – I think I think I have this right. They played more with two tight ends in that first game than they did in any other game the rest of the year even though it was elevated for the season compared to previous years. I think Ryan Day wants to show you some stuff. 
It's more more of the Penn State has to prepare for. I think part of that was was very deliberate. Um, Jamison Williams was still part of the plan. He had one target, but like if Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson are open, they're getting the look before Jamison Williams does. Um, but but I still think there's there's room out there for him to have the kind of season that I thought he was going to have coming into the year. Yep. Jesse S. And this was a hilarious storyline this week. With Trevor Lawrence opening the door for staying another year, is there any chance Justin Fields comes back after this year? Should we say it in unison? Yeah. Let's look at each other. Ready? Yeah. One, two, three. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. We were supposed to be better. We weren't in sync there. Sorry. Uh, it's and Trevor Lawrence connection. ain't coming back next year either. Yeah. He's not. Yeah. <laughs> let me tell you. Let me let me tell you something. Are the Jets bad enough that you would consider not coming out? Uh, no. Is there Has there been one example of a player that was this high profile at the quarterback position that has come back? I guess Andrew Herbert, Luck. right? Andrew Luck. But was Came Andrew back. Luck the bona fide number one pick in the NFL draft since he was a freshman? I don't know if he was. I don't know if he was quite that, but I think the year he decided to come back, he was being projected as the first quarterback in the draft. I could be wrong, but I think that's the case. Yeah, yeah, and Herbert too, right? I mean, I don't know if he was the first one off the board, but he definitely would have been a first round pick, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess it, it does happen. But like this is this is an entirely different scenario. These people have. I mean, I'm surprised he's not on this year's Madden cover. Like, I mean, <laughs> no, it's not happening. You know, you know, this is the thing. If it happens. Let's enjoy and bask in the remarkable the remarkable nature of that decision if and when it happens, but also give it zero attention before it does. Is that, yep. That's kind of like my motto on, on things like this. I agree. I agree. It's better. Uh, it's better to get your hope. Better to be surprised than to get your hopes up and feel let down. And and I would advise strongly against getting your hopes up about either one of those guys playing college football next year. Zachary P is a question about the run game. I feel the run game was more of an offensive line issue, and I also felt there was some trouble with blitz pickup. Do you feel like this is due to the lack of live reps and chemistry or other long-term concerns we should have about this line? I'm going to go get a water out of the fridge. I've got yeah. wireless headphones. Why don't you take this one? Well, I included this question because I, I don't know if there's reason to have long-term concerns about anything based off of one game. I get it. We, we've waited so long to watch Ohio State play, and, and the second something doesn't look right, you get worried about it. But but I'm not there really with, with anything. I have questions, and we'll get to some of those questions when we break down the Penn State game. But I thought the offensive line was good. I, I, I thought the run game lack of production was much more about play calling, one. Um, they were just being pretty um, stingy, I think, in trying to run inside zone a little too much with the way that – you know they don't want to run Justin Fields when you run that play. You don't block an end; that end's going to crash down and tackle your running back pretty easily. When they switched that up, it got a little better, and I thought the running backs got to do a little better job of of finding the right hole and and running with their pads lower and picking up some extra yards. So I thought the line was fine. Harry Miller didn't have a great game. Uh, Wyatt Davis and Josh Myers have certainly had better games. I thought the tackles were really good. Nick Petit Frere was awesome for for it wasn't his first start, but it was. This is his first time as a full-time starter, and he played really well. Nebraska's front's not great. Penn State's front is much better, and and we'll have a we'll have a, a much better idea of, of what this line is after this week. But I don't have long-term concerns yet. I think it's first game rust. I think it's lack of live reps, like Zachary asked in his question. Some chemistry stuff with new starters, but I think these are things that get figured out over the course of a season. But it is worth mentioning that while you're waiting to get those things figured out. Penn State's got a pretty good defense and, and can make you pay for it if you're not if you're not on top of your game. I've got a follow up question from REW. Are you ready? Yep. What game is everybody on the internet, both Ohio State writers and fans, watching when people were saying that the defensive line was the strength of last week's game? I don't know if it's just that? me. I don't know. I've been like hearing on other podcasts that the interior defensive line might have been one of the bright spots of Ohio State's game last week and that they played really well, and I remember coming onto this podcast last week, and I haven't rewatched the game, uh, so I'm, everything that I'm talking about right now is based on the notes that I took during the game and what I felt during the game while watching it. But it seems to me that people are like excited about the defensive line, and I'm like, did I watch a different game? And like, even you're like, I wouldn't say that. It's like, well, am I just off on this? Like, what what am I seeing that everyone else isn't? Um. 
I thought you were off in saying that they got their ass kicked for the entire game, but I don't think it was a particularly good game for the defensive line. I think what people are excited about is the idea that like Haskell Garrett got in there and flashed, and he's got an incredible story. But he did. He came in and gave him some juice, and he, and he played really well. And it seemed like he and Tommy Togiai gave him a little bit of an interior pass rush. But and I, I thought those guys were good, and I think those guys are going to be good. But I am very concerned about what they have behind him because I don't think either of those guys is going to be able to play seventy snaps, and you're going to be okay. So I think it's good to be happy with what you have at the top of the depth chart at defensive tackle. But I don't know what they have behind them, so I I'm not I'm not coming out of the Nebraska game thinking like, ooh, defensive line strong point. I'm thinking Tommy Togiai, Haskell Garrett, decent start. Very worried about what's behind those two. Yeah, I, I don't know. It just seems to me that the general viewpoint of the interior defensive line and the defensive line as a whole was excitement and, you know, encouragement. And I didn't really come away with it that way. So yeah. I'm very I'm very curious to see how they stack up against Penn State, but I don't think my vibe of Ohio State's defensive line is necessarily the uh same wavelength is a lot of other people who were kind of dissecting the game so I, i'm very curious to see if they can get some push and against penn state who probably has a better uh, offensive line than nebraska but without the running back depth it'll be very interesting to see how they handle that i lean more toward you than i do like everything's you know popcorn and rainbows but uh i love popcorn and rainbows so do i you ready showtime on May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Speaking of popcorn and rainbows, question from G Nilly Nine: Best Halloween candy to eat as a dessert or side dish? Side dish. Side dish. <laughs> like I what? Missed that, I missed that part. <laughs> Should the question have just ended at best Halloween candy to eat? You give like, a, like a, 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 a porterhouse and a Reese's peanut butter cup. Like what are we doing here? I think this is a different question than what is the best candy bar, right? Because not all candy bars are given out as Halloween candy. I yeah, think the. Yeah, I think they can be. Well, like you, my, you, you go you go you go to door to door, you come home, you get your bag full of candy, you dump it out on the table, and you're most excited to see what. Well, that's what I'm trying to say. Like my favorite candy bar is Heath, but Heath doesn't come in a lot of Halloween situations. If I so I think that I'm throwing it back at you. Are you serious? I don't even know what it is to be honest. I never had it before. It's just like toffee covered in chocolate. It's a Heath bar. Uh, Are there nuts in it? No, it's just toffee okay. and chocolate. It's amazing. All right, I'm in. But I think the best hands down halloween candy is reese's mm-hmm. i mean i i that's the when i was a kid that's the staple of you know how if you rob a bank and you come back with a big bag of cash you are most excited for the hundreds and hundred dollar bills doesn't mean the 20s and the 50s aren't good <laughs> but i think that you kind of measure your halloween trick-or-treat success based on how many reese's you pull away like those yep. are like the cornerstone of of your Halloween bag. Do you remember how protective when we were kids? I don't know if you were like this, but like my parents would give me a, a pillow suitcase, and like when I was like eleven or ten or whatever, how old you are when you're trick or treating? When you get that bag, it's like the most important thing. Yeah. Like if my dad took something out of it, or if they had to touch it or go through it, I would get like angry. You're like, like a that brink security the, guy. Yeah, it's like. The definition of like what people call a bag now. Get that bag. <laughs> like that is that was my bag. Yeah, I filled that pillowcase up to the top, and no one was touching it over my dead body. Reese's is the answer. My favorite candy is actually kind of strange. It's a York peppermint patty, but they don't really give those out much on on uh, Halloween. Reese's is good. I'm a big uh, hundred grand fan. Like a Three Musketeers. Really, any kind of chocolate bar doesn't have nuts in it. I'm, I'm all about it. Three Musketeers is dog shit. It's fine. It's good if you freeze it. Room temp, it's not the best. But if you freeze it, it's pretty good. You know what's a really good candy, but you can't get anywhere? But my grandma used to always have them in her apartment in a little bowl on the... What was it with grandparents and little bowls of chocolate? I don't know if yeah. your grandparents you, are like that. Until you gain but, weight, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, every kid is exposed to it. But those little Andes peppermint... Yep. Um, they... Do they if they sold that in chocolate bar form, 
where it was like big, big enough, to, like a big one. Yeah, I would smash that because those that. are those are delicious. And I don't I think know that might exist. If it does, it's not in grocery stores, and that's a major uh, issue because uh, they usually just come in like little square packs, like individually wrapped square packs. Um, yeah, thin mints, but chocolate. Yeah, I love an Andy's mint. They're big, big around at Christmas time. Yeah, smash those if, things around Christmas. If time. you like York peppermint patties, I'm assuming that that's really high up on your list too. Yeah, it is. It definitely is. All right, let's do two more questions, and we'll get to our, our Penn State game preview. Lucas P asked uh, a bit ago. Ari wrote about how great college football coaches need to be willing to choose talent over loyalty, and quoted Saban choosing Tua and Day choosing Fields as examples. Why then has Tough Borland managed to see the field for three years when we have so much talent behind him? Can I go get another water? <laughs> I don't know. I think Tough Borland gets a lot of crap. And I think that a lot of times, I think we've seen this with the Ohio State fan base. If it's eh, cool to make fun of somebody or to attack somebody, then everybody just does it. And half the time, they don't even know what they're attacking. And I think that that's the case. But I also think that there's a certain part of it, too, that Tough might have played a little too much. And it's time where you know he might not necessarily have the speed or the ability to you know, excel during certain matchups. And, you know, a lot of people like did freeze frames and what's he doing over here and, you know, why is he out of position? I think it's a little bit harder um, as people watching the game to know exactly where these guys should be at all times. And, you know, Browning was out of position, you know, at times. Mm -hmm. You know, it happens. People make mistakes. If there were no mistakes, then every single play would be zero-yard gain. And, you know, I, I, but I do think that there is enough talent um, on this – team and in the linebacker room where I would like to see more Taraja Mitchell and I think as we get on with the season you're going to start seeing more of that I'd like to see more Baron Browning in rush situations I, I think that we're not talking about Andy Katzenmoyer here and it was cool to make fun of him two years ago he's been on this team for what seems like five years now and I think people are just desperate to see what's next next because that's just the general enjoyment of watching college football but I don't look at tough Borland and think this guy needs to get off the field at all times right now I think he has his place I think he's really great situationally I don't know that he needs to be in the game 85 percent of the snaps at Mike linebacker and I think there's like kind of a middle ground between he's the worst linebacker on planet earth and is he playing too much yeah I think so too I, he did not play particularly well against Nebraska at least early on I thought he settled in and all the linebackers settled in and they started doing some different stuff schematically to put them in, in better positions and like not get pulled out of the box and not have to worry about man coverage as much that the thing that always I don't know if bothers me is the right word but the my my rebuttal to this all the time is the question is why does he play so much when we have so much talent behind him like what have you seen that you're so certain that what's behind him is better Sorry. I think yeah, you, I guess you see recru- you see recruiting stars. That's fine. That's what but it is. Like, Taraja Mitchell got on the field and like it was fine. Dallas Gant got on the field and flashed once or twice, made one or two mistakes. Like linebacker is a very thankless position, and guys make mistakes and the mistakes get highlighted all the time. It's, it's I think it's a little similar to offensive line actually. And and Tuff was definitely out of positions position at times against Nebraska and got picked on a little bit. But all the linebackers got picked on a little bit. So. I think they all need to be better. I, I agree. I'd like to see the young guys play more, but I don't think it means tough comes off the field and never plays again. I think they all have their their strengths and they all kind of serve a purpose. Here's the thing, and you tell me if you think I'm nuts. And this might have been even been before your time on Ohio State's beat, um, or even watching them. But in the 2005, 2006, as they had the AJ Hawks of the world, they had Andy Katz and Moyers earlier than that. They had Ryan Shazier. And I think the the viewpoint from the Ohio State fan base is that the Mike linebacker or the linebackers in, 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 in general should be fast, attacking, disruptive, downright dominant players. And I agree with them. I think that that's true. What I also agree with, or don't agree, but I, what I don't agree with, I'll say, I should say, is that those are regular linebackers that just come out of nowhere all the time. And I think we've seen receivers step up and quarterbacks get replaced and running backs get replaced. And it's just like the idea is that you're just going to be able to find guys like that all over the place. But, A, I don't know if Ohio State's scheme even draws up or or puts these players in position to flow and get into the backfield and blow things up and make it like an entertaining position to watch. But Ryan Shazier and James Laurinaitis and A.J. Hawk isn't the standard right now. 
and maybe it should be. I don't know what it is, but I think in my mind, when I think of tremendous linebacker, I think of the guy who's going to shed a block, run across the field, and spear somebody into the ground across the field. And like, I don't think Tough Borland can make that a play like that. But that doesn't mean that he's not good. It's just yeah. he doesn't fit the vision of what we think linebackers should look like at Ohio State. I also think people need to recalibrate what they think a linebacker should look like because the game is very different from what it was back then. Like these yeah. guys aren't plugging the A gap and taking on a fullback anymore. It's like, and I, like in some ways, Tufts a throwback a little bit. Like he, there's a reason that the reason that the first time we all noticed him was against Army. Um, that's his kind of game. I think he had like 13 tackles in that game. He played really well, and and there's a reason he looks a little bit out of place when teams spread him out and, and he's trailing the play. So. Uh, I almost feel like on some level, if he was on this team ten years ago, people might appreciate him more. But um, I do, I do. His his, his skill set, I think, does not lend itself always to being on the field against some of these teams. But I thought, like, I don't think he was terrible. He had a bad start against Nebraska, um, but I thought all the linebackers kind of rounded in the form a little bit. So I'm very I'm very eager to see Dallas Gant play more and Taraji Mitchell play more and Kavon Pope and Craig Young and all these guys play more. Um, but we're also, I, I think it bears repeating when we have this conversation, we're also not always there to see what's happening when these decisions are made in terms yep. of who's being productive in practice and stuff like that. All right, question from Jason W. We'll get us into our Penn State uh, game picks and preview. He asked, would any current Penn State players start if they were on Ohio State's roster? Is it the yeah. obvious one? I think Jason Oway. I think Jason Oway would. Does he count as a linebacker or is he an end? He's an end. Really talented speed rusher. I think Ohio State could use some more speed out there. Um, Pat Fryermuth, I think, is a different kind of tight end than what they have in Luke, oh. Luke Farrell and Jeremy Ruckert, but he could certainly start at Ohio State. Um, Michael Parsons would if he was still on the roster. Uh, why? Where, where were you going? I read this as linebackers only, and I think because I had the question above it. If oh. we're talking about all players, like wouldn't Fryermuth? Yeah. Yeah, Fryermuth, Oway. I actually like like PJ Mustafer and Antonio Shelton. Their defensive tackles are pretty good, and we know Ohio State needs them. I don't, I'm not saying they're better than maybe Ohio State's top two guys, but they would definitely play if they were here. Um, I don't. I wouldn't take any of Penn State's receivers over Ohio State's receivers. Um, what about Brandon Smith? Yeah, I'd probably throw him in there at linebacker, former five star prospect. Is yeah. he? He's like just making his first career starts now, isn't he? Though. Yeah, he, he played. He played. He played, he played sparingly last year. Last year. Yeah. Lamont Wade's a guy they recruited. Um, physical safety, I think, has a knack for making plays. I, I would probably feel – I think he's a knack for making plays and also a knack for giving up big plays. But he played really well last year when, when Ohio State um, hosted Penn State here. I think I would rather have Lamont Wade at the moment over Marcus Hooker and maybe Josh Proctor, even though people love Proctor. Um, Lamont, made, Lamont Wade just played a little more. Um, I think he'd start here. Maybe Lamont that's Wade is such an interesting player because I remember how bad Ohio State wanted him. And, like, when I watch him play, one play he's doing something magnificent, and the next play it's like, what were you doing? And I can't really figure him out. But I do like the idea that he's more experienced. Yeah. He's boomer bust for sure. Um, and, that I mean, that even showed up last week when they played Indiana. I think he's a guy in this game that Ohio State might try to target with, like, Garrett Wilson. Or maybe even a tight end if they decide they want to throw the ball to the tight end this week. But uh, I think that because I do like Penn State's corners, I don't think I take them over Ohio State's corners. But Tariq Castro Fields and Joey Porter Jr. are, are pretty good and physical, and, and I think are going to make it hard on on Ohio State's receivers. I still like Ohio State's receivers in that matchup, but the idea of getting Wilson in the slot really isolated against any safety or linebacker, but in this game too against a really aggressive guy like Lamont Wade, I think you might be able to use that to your advantage sometimes and that's like where i think I, i'm very confused about this game because i don't i just don't feel like i know enough about either team to feel like i, I i'm tempted to pick ohio state kind of runs away with it but I, I i need more data and i'm I'm chickening out a little bit um but i do think the separation occurs with guys like garrett wilson and ohio state's passing game and that's why ohio state wins but it's a 12 point spread and i think i'm taking the 12 what I'm, I'm not taking Penn State to cover. I don't know. I don't know if we're there yet. Or not, Why? But no, we're there. We're we're breaking down the game. We're giving our picks. Well, I'm skipping this last question about receivers because we're okay. running out of time. And we need to talk about the game. Um, 
I'm picking here. Here's my pick. Here, I will tell you, I like I like Ohio State 31-21. I think Penn State covers the 12. You seem very confident that Penn State will not cover the 12, and I want to know why. I don't know, man. Like I, I don't like my gut feeling. When somebody told me, I was at dinner with a friend on on uh, Sunday evening, and they like told me at dinner that the spread was eight, and I thought he was messing with me. <laughs> like I thought I was like, are you kidding me? Like if Ohio State was getting laying eight right now, I might bet my life savings on that. I think this yep. team, from top to bottom, when you analyze it, is better at every turn, you know. And we just mentioned some guys that might start for Ohio State, so it's not necessarily as lopsided. But I think the extent of the analysis for Penn State keeping it close, especially after that debacle of a game, debacle, debacle or debacle, debacle, De- debacle is how they say debacle in Chicago, debacle of a game that that was last Saturday. What is the extent of the analysis? It's, oh, Penn State keeps it close most of the time, so I'm just going to assume that that happens again? Or is that a X's and O's, Bill Landis, talking about football dissection of this game? Because I'm not going to pick, oh, well, they've played them close in the past, so let's just assume that that's going to happen again because I don't understand why you would do that. And, yes, Ohio State I thought was infinitely better than Penn State last year, and they only won by, what, 11? So, like, I understand, and I've seen games where Ohio State's beating the crap out of them and still only won by 11. So I get that it might be the safe way out, safe route here. But, like, my gut feeling is that they're going to win, like, 42 to 14. I don't, I, I don't think that there's any way that Penn State can stop Ohio State from scoring. I don't know why you think Ohio State's only going to score 31 points. I don't know. Is, is Penn State's defense, like, legit, legit this year? I know they have some solid pass rushing guys and they've got some talented young linebackers and you know you just spoke about their secondary a little bit but is this team going to be the team like that stops Ohio State from getting to 40 and it's like if Ohio State's going to be stopped to 30 31 points against Penn State then why are you why would you think that they could score 50 a game this year because they're going to score 65 and 70 against all the other teams yeah you think they're going to score 70 points on other teams in the Big Ten I think they're going to score at least 60 against uh, Rutgers and Maryland and Illinois and Michigan State and possibly Indiana. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, okay. fact, I factored in a, a, a quote unquote low scoring game in which the Ohio State skill still scores 30 points into my projection of them scoring 50. Yeah. Averaging 50 per game. Yeah. I, um, I'm having a really hard time breaking down the game because I think if you look at the, at the personnel on these two teams, um, it just it doesn't equate to a 12-point game. It equates to 20, I think. Um, but also, I don't know how to correctly take into account that James Franklin's teams have played them close. And is it that James Franklin knows how to coach against Ohio State? Do his team uh, – does his roster have a better mindset going into this game? Does Ohio State choke to some degree? Like, what is the reason for that? Because when you just yeah. break down the game for what these teams are, it's a 12-point game in your mind? I think it's – a 20 or 21 point game. I think they're infinitely better than them. Yeah. I mean, they always are. And it hasn't seemed to matter. Um, they, I broke some of this down in the film review story that I wrote. that went up on the athletic on Thursday. Um, I think if Ohio state plays a clean game, which it's never done against Penn state, then it is something closer, like 42 to 14, like you're predicting. Um, the idea that they have not played clean against Penn state does factor into my decision. The idea that it's sort of been inexplicably close given a talent gap does factor into my decision, but it's more about the matchups. Uh, I think Jason Oway and Shaka Tony are going to give the offensive line some problems. I think Ohio state's offensive line is not great at diagnosing pressure and, and, getting the right calls in place and seeing where it's coming from. And that's going to lead to some sacks on Justin Fields. I, in the end, I think they're going to be able to throw the ball well enough that I don't even know if they sweat. Maybe it's, it could be like 31, 14 late in the fourth quarter and Penn state tax on a garbage time touchdown and covers it that way. Like I don't, I don't think Ohio state's going to be pushed exactly to the wire, but I think there are enough things that Penn state does well matched up against things that I don't view as particularly particular areas of strength for Ohio state to keep it close and that's their pass rush with these ends their aggressiveness on defense um, the fact that ohio state did not run the ball particularly well last week and i don't think it's going to automatically get fixed on the road against what's probably the best defense you're going to see all year 
Um, I don't think they're dynamic enough at tailback to just lean on Penn State the way that they did last year. They marched down the field on them a couple times early. Should have been up 14-0 on the first two drives, but they fumbled going into the end zone. Um, I think Sean Clifford does enough with his legs to extend drives and, and get Penn State into the end zone. And, and I'm, I'm curious slash mildly concerned about how they're going to cover Pat Fryermuth because last year it was Pete Werner. With safety help over the top, Pete Werner switching positions. Now, if they decide to just want to switch it back and Pete Werner follows Fryermuth, then maybe I feel a little better about that. But if you're going to put Baron Browning on that tight end, I like the tight end. If you're going to try to put a smaller defensive back on that tight end, I like the tight end. I'm intrigued by the idea that Josh Proctor might cover him in some nickel packages. I want to watch that. I don't know which way I'd lean on that, but I'd probably lean on Fryermuth's experience. Um, but the way they've moved things around defensively, I think will leave leave Penn State in a position to do a little more on offense than they did last year when they couldn't do anything because they couldn't block Chase Young and basically they played in the phone booth and just ran the quarterback the entire game. I, I think they do more than that this year. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it all makes sense, and you're probably going to end up being right because, you know, the line often tells me, you know, how to feel about a game, and the fact that it opened at 8, shot to 12, got up to 13.5, and, and then – came back down to the 12 area makes me think that you know this game might be a little bit tighter than you know most people are anticipating I just also too want to know as we talked about James Franklin and his in-game gaffes that have cost his team and the fact that it looked like honestly if you watch the Penn State Indiana game it looked like they hadn't even practiced with all the things that went wrong these missed field these missed extra point length field goals these turnovers going into halftime, the weird calls, Clifford being off the mark and his passing, air mailing three or four passes mm-hmm. in the first half that turned out. Is that just a, in the assumption that that's going to be fixed too? You know, because it's like Penn State has to play a perfect game to compete with Ohio State when Ohio State's playing okay. And it's just like if Penn State is even 25% better than they were last week, that's still a sloppy as shit game. So like I, I like I don't know what's wrong with Penn State. I think they've lost a lot. They lost their two best players, right? Unless Fryer Muth mm-hmm. counts as their top player just because he's the best at his position. But I just don't know how you could have watched that Indiana game and felt confident that all of a sudden losing on the road to Indiana after looking as terrible as they did and beating themselves that they are going to snap out of it and come out and play a wonderful, tight, efficient disciplined game against one of the best teams in college football especially now that they can't lean on their home crowd and you know I I think that honestly if the game was 31-21 it would not be shocking to me I think there are some concerns about you know Ohio State's defensive line and and part of the reason why I am is confident that Ohio State is going to beat Penn State um, is because Penn State doesn't have Journey Brown or Noah Kane, and I think that that kind of neutralizes a little bit of the push that they're giving up up front or that they were giving up front against Nebraska. Um, but other than that, I don't know. I don't sit there and look at Penn State and think this is a team that's going to cause Ohio State issues. I think this team is a worse version of the version that we've seen the last few years. Even though we came into the season think they might be better, I don't think that this team is like Ohio State in the sense that it can sustain the losses of Parsons, Brown, and Kane um, the way that Ohio State would be able to. I mean, look at Ohio State's running back situation, and they lost a guy that they were expecting to lose to the NFL. Now put yourself in Ohio in Penn State's depth chart situation, and yes, Franklin has recruited running backs quite well there, but you don't just sustain your two best offensive playmakers outside of Fryermuth and, and Dotson and are just fine. So I think that Penn State is kind of a beaten down team, and like my prediction is like forty-two to fourteen. I think they're going to beat them up. Yeah, I think they're. I, 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 think, I can't envision a game until I see it where Ohio State scores less than forty. I think that's fair. Um, Penn State's defense was very good against Indiana. It was like Indiana had like a hundred yards of total offense before the last drive, where they where they tied the game. Um, Indiana's offense is also not nearly as talented as Ohio State's, even though it has some nice pieces that I like, especially in the offensive line. Um, Indiana's offense is, is a pretty significant drop down. I do think I'm I am like I've said I, I'm con, I'm confused a little bit on what to think of both these teams because of how weird the year is. So I think I'm playing it cautious a little bit, but I also will not be surprised if. I go into it thinking it's going to be a closer game and that it ends up looking like Alabama, Georgia, where 
Georgia's defense is great, and it didn't matter because Alabama's offense was that much better and that much more explosive, and Georgia didn't have the quarterback to keep up. Like That is definitely on the table in this game for Ohio State and Penn State. So if it ends up being 42-14, that's an impressive win, really impressive win for Ohio State. I, th- I think that's definitely possible, but I'm playing it a little closer to the vest, I think, and, and picking a, a slightly tighter game, even though I think Ohio State still wins by 10 points and feels pretty good doing it. Why do we play it close to the vest? This is a podcast where you're supposed to act outlandish. To be right, because I want to say I'm right. Outlandish. I want to be able to show up here early next week and say I told you so. That's why I pick it. That's why I pick it close. There is nothing more gratifying than putting yourself out there in a situation that makes you look stupid beforehand and then being right after. Like if Ohio State wins 42-14, that is a um hard thing to predict and to be taken seriously going into the game and then when it happens you look smart yes i am i am picking this game to look much like it's looked the last four years and you're picking something very different so if you're right you will look smart but didn't it happen like four years ago when was the last they beat up james franklin's first uh, in 2014 they kicked the shit out of or 13 they kicked the shit out of God, has State. it been seven years already um, since they've kicked them i was watching that game at a bar in cleveland and like penn state just got annihilated it was like 63 to 14 or something like that um 14 was the overtime game 15 they beat them pretty well in ohio stadium and every year since then it's been the three years after that it was a one possession game or one point game and then last year was 11 points yeah um so i think it looks a little bit like last year's game how good is Penn State in relation to the last five years? Would you say this is their second best team in the last five years, or would you think it's in the bottom half? Because I thought it'd be like their their fourth best team in the last five years after losing Parsons, Brown, and Kane. Better than yeah, it's probably their it's, since these games started being close. This is maybe their worst team. Also, Penn State did a hell of a job in the past moving the sticks and in. in getting sustained drives because Trace McSorley was a slippy, uh, slippery dude. Mm-hmm. And I thought he was like a very underrated college quarterback. In fact, I thought he was awesome. And I don't know if the statue Clifford back there is going to be able to do what McSorley did in terms of making plays, evading pass rush, extending plays, extending drives. Clifford's and I know that I know people think that Clifford is supposedly going to be running more and has had to work really hard in his ability to move and evade pressure and, and maybe even take a design run. And I guess statue might be a hit 122 uh, rushing yards last week. <laughs> no, no, I know, but like I don't think that he is. You know, he's a. You know what I'm trying to say, Bill? Like yeah, he's a much yeah. different player than McSorley was. And Ohio State, in general, the last seven years has always struggled more against teams like Adrian Martinez and, and quarterbacks like that that are able to freelance a little bit better. And I think that you know Clifford did a pretty good job running the ball, and it has to be an emphasis. But he's not like McSorley in the sense that he's going to turn a. Uh, a broken play into a 30, 30 yard run because he's super rangy, athletic, and can make people miss. It's not the same type of player. Yeah, he had a run like that last week where, like, as it was happening, I was like, how, how is this happening? He actually had, like, a, like, it was 35 yard touchdown run where he just kind of ran through five defenders, like, and it made no sense, but it ended up being a touchdown anyway. I don't think that's something that happens regularly, but he is mobile, but the, uh, it comes or back against to Ohio State caliber defenders. Right. Um, but even if that's if that's all you can do, it doesn't threaten Ohio State. You got to be able to throw the ball, and I don't think you can throw it well enough to beat Ohio State. Yeah. Saturday night, yeah. Halloween night, full moon. They're they're saying it's a blue moon. I don't know if that helps uh, Penn State all right, all at all. Give me the points. Nah. Give me the points. Take the points and the blue moon. Saturday night, Beaver Stadium, Ohio State, Penn State, ABC, the whole deal. Big game still for the Buckeyes, even if, if Ohio State or if Penn State's coming off of a loss, but. Um, Still still controls the, the pathway here for the Big Ten East to get into the Big Ten Championship. So we're excited to watch it. We're excited to recap it uh, on the next episode of 4-6 with a and talk about what we saw with you guys. We'll talk to you then.